0: with you. Uh, it's it's going to be a good day today. Today we get to jump into season or week number four of our sermon series called Seasons. And uh, we've been going through the different spiritual seasons of your life. So next week we're going to end uh, kind of, it's going to be like a pendulum. We're going we're to start today. It's going to be like an exciting day. We're going to talk about uh, probably the most exciting season and what to do with it. And then we're going to end with the most difficult season, uh, which is spiritually fall. Uh, in our lives, when you're losing things, I want to talk to you about what it looks like when God takes things away from you, how you go through those seasons. And so today I want to talk to you about summer. We got any summer people in here? Summer. Everybody loves summer, right? Like everybody that I know loves summer. I love the beach, I love, I love. Dessert and ice cream, and, and 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 I love I love grilling at anybody else, and I love fresh cut grass, and I love lines, and I got a few friends. We, we take pictures and send the lines of our our lawn back and forth, and and uh, I I love that. I love taking walks. I'm getting older, and so me and my wife we take walks now in the neighborhood, and and, and, and even when we walk in with her, I love complaining as we're walking because she always makes me walk farther than I want to walk, and so uh, go up hills. I'm like it's supposed to be a walk, and so like I just I love. I love summer. I love, I love that season of your life. And so summer spiritually is one of the easiest seasons to, to, to be excited about, to enjoy. What, what does summer look like spiritually? Here's what it looks like. It's the times when the blessings of God are on full display. Like you, you can just see God's blessings in, in your life. It's really easy to be happy in summer. Uh, the Bible talks about your cup overflowing. Your cup is overflowing and then some during, during summer. You're on the mountaintop. You can look down and you can literally see, man, God worked that out and God made this happen. Like these are the moments in your life where there's promotion and, and it's great and there's fulfillment of God's promises and increase. And I would call this the season of success. Anybody like success here? the season where you see success in your life. You were single, you got married, success, right? You were trying to have a baby and it popped out and success, right? And like, you know what I'm talking about? Like like you, you were working hard and you got that promotion and, and Success. You, you needed more money, and God increased your finances, and you get to live in success. Maybe you're a young person. It's your first. It's your first time you go out and buy a car for the first time, and you're driving in that car that you paid cash for because you worked really hard, and and you're you're you're, you're driving in success there, and you can just see, man, I I feel great about my myself. You start a business, and you see the business actually working. For me, it was man, 2008. We started seeing some level of success after three years of what felt like winter in our church and nobody was coming you could just look on Sunday and go success maybe even now I mean I remember last year last year you guys remember we started tearing tearing stuff down here and there was a big wall in Phoenixville and now there's no wall and you guys are sitting like this like we're in an arena like we're getting ready to be at the link you know I'm talking about and you're up and I can just it just seasons of what of success right and here's the problem with success that I've noticed success spiritually is more difficult to handle than failure Success, spiritually, is more difficult to handle than failure. I mean, think about it. At the end of every service, we give an altar call, right? You know, altar call, ask you to follow Jesus. You ever notice who I'm talking to there? There's not been a time, probably, you've been here that I've been like, "Hey, man, if you just got a six-figure income and you're excited about life and you have drove in here in a Porsche, give it all up and follow Christ." We don't typically talk to people. What do we do, man? When you're 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 going through you're going through stuff, you know I'm talking about your 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 life's falling apart. You're 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 addicted. You're 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 alone. You're 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 depressed. You're bitter, man. Come to Christ. If you're weary and heavy laden, He'll give you rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. God will help you with your addiction. God will do this. Why? Because oftentimes when we're in a season of success, we assume that we don't need God. When we get into a season of success. We assume we don't need God. Think think logically about this. So there's four seasons in Pennsylvania. And church attendance fluctuates. I don't know if you knew this or not. There's seasons where stuff goes up. And we know a lot of people are going to be at church, and then there's seasons where church gets a little bit emptier. There's a lot, a lot of people that are normally there that are not there. There's people that go away for, for a substantial amount of time. There's people that spend a lot of time away from their typical home and their second home. You know, you, know, you, know, you know what season that is? Everybody tell me what season that is. Summer. You know how many people they get into the success of summer and they go, we'll see you in the fall. We'll see you in three months. I got a beach house. I got a uh, a mountain house. I got—I got my kids are in sports now. Like I got stuff to do. We got weddings to plan for. We got places to be. And we're in success. And I got a promotion, so we can go on more vacations this year than we went on went on last year. And I got all this stuff that I didn't have before. Like in winter, I need God, right? Like, I need to be a church. Like, I'm just making it through the day and false dust falling off of my life and I'm suffering. I need to find God in that suffering. And man, when I'm starting something and I'm afraid, I'm in the spring and I'm stepping out in faith, man, I don't know what's going on. I need God. But when I'm in success, you can almost feel it. I got my Hawaiian shirt on. I got my folded out chair. I got my pineapple with my drink in it, non-alcoholic because I'm a pastor. And so, like, I'm drinking all that and I'm just chilling out, right? It's, it's in a season. Of success, and we don't do well oftentimes with success. That's the cycle of the Old Testament. The, the, the God's people, they go, they go bad, they call on God, He comes back, He saves them, it gets good again, they fall away from God, it goes bad. He, he call, they call out to Him, He saves them, it goes good for a while, they forget about God. It, it's 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 insanity. We need God when stuff is bad and we tend to forget God when stuff is good. In fact, in Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus deals with this. And I think it's interesting if you ever heard this passage in Matthew chapter 19, it can get confused. People can read it too fast and get confused by it. But the Bible talks about, Jesus talking about money. And he says, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What's rich? Rich is success. Some of you say, I'm not rich, so that's not for me. Well, rich is a moving target. You ever do a study, you make over, I think, probably $2 a day. It used to be. Inflation is probably $3 a day now. If you make over $3 a day, you, live, you have more money than 50% of the world has. You have two cars, you're rich. You have a, a closet for your, for your clothes, you're rich. You have a refrigerator that you open up and you say there's nothing to eat, but it's full, you're rich. You have two refrigerators, don't even start talking. You go out to eat and somebody waits on you and you pay money, to, you're, you're, you're rich, right? Like we, we are, in America, most of us don't even realize how rich that we are. We live, most of us, in a very successful lifestyle when it comes to, to money. The Bible doesn't say anything that, that money is evil. Here's what the Bible says. It says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Here's why. Because you get success. And success makes it difficult for you to rely on God. You know what's interesting in that chapter, if you go above it, it talks about two other areas that I have found that people don't deal with with when it comes to uh, success. It talks about marriage and divorce, and it talks about kids. Jesus is mad, he's let the little kids come to me, right? And and then he talks about marriage and divorce. Three areas that I've noticed in my own life as a pastor where people don't do uh, good with success, marriage, having kids, and having money. You see people love God. I need a spouse. And they meet one at church and they psh, gone. You see people have kids. They, God, give me a kid. God, I want a kid. And God gives them a kid and their kid becomes their God. I can probably only say that at the 11 o'clock service. This one, you're like, whoa, right? <laughs> it's true. God, God, give me more money. God gives you more money. Money becomes your, your God. We do better with failure than we do with success. So I want to talk to you. I call my message today suffering from success. Suffering from success. I want to take you into Old Testament story in the book of Genesis chapter 41. It's probably my favorite Old Testament story. I told you last week, I have two favorite stories in the Old Testament, the story of Moses and the story of Joseph. Moses is right before is right before or after Joseph. So Joseph is Genesis chapter 41 through Genesis chapter 46, 47, and then you pick up the story of Joseph. In between them is 400 years. And so 400 years passes. And so we're going to go back. Last week we we're in Moses. We're, we're going to go back 400 years and I want to talk to you about Joseph. And here's here's why I love the story of Joseph is we tend to live a, a lifestyle that believes that all the bad things that have been do- done to us can impact us in a way that takes us away from the call of God. And Joseph is proof that nobody can get in the way of God's dream for your life. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can detain it. Nobody can get in the way except for you. But it doesn't mean you're not going to go through some very painful moments in your life. So let me just explain to you the story of Joseph in a nutshell. Joseph is born one of 11 sons. He's the youngest one. He's the favorite. I'm not sure why he's the favorite, but I know in my own, in my family, that my third one, my, my kids will say, he's your favorite sometimes, right? And the reason I think that kids believe that is the longer that you go with having kids, the more that you realize how fast things go, the more you realize you shouldn't stress out about every little thing, and the more you enjoy because you know it's gonna be over before, before you even know it. Anybody tracking with me? So sometimes the youngest, it's like, man, you just, you, just, you just spend more time with them, or it's just like you slowed down, or you got, you're the youngest, you ever have somebody say, they're e- Your mom and dad were easier on you, right? No, mom and dad weren't easier. They just gave up by then, right? Like They, they were like, we're going to be fine, right? He's eating paint chips. He's fine. And so, so Joseph's the youngest of 11 boys. So him and his dad were close, right? And uh, his dad gives him a coat of many colors. You can read about it in the Bible. His brothers were jealous of him. They get so jealous of Joseph that one day they take him out on a hunting trip, and they fake his death, throw him in a pit, steal his jacket, put the blood of an animal on it, sell him off into slavery, and go home and tell his dad that he got eaten by an animal. That's hate right there. Some of us just don't talk to our siblings for a few months. That is another level of hatred. The Bible says Joseph gets sold as a slave into the house of a man named Potiphar, Potiphar. One thing interesting about Joseph is everywhere he went, he found success. He was just, he wasn't a situational person. He had integrity. He worked hard. So no matter, you'll notice, no matter where he went, he always rose in in power and prominence. And so in the house of Potiphar, he was like the number one house servant. Like Potiphar absolutely loved Joseph, loved his character, and he put him in charge of everything in that household. Here's where the situation gets a little bit, a little bit crazy. Potiphar's wife starts to like Joseph. Potiphar's, away doing business. She sees Joseph. Joseph's fine, the Bible says. That's what it says in Hebrew, fine. And so he's tanned. He's muscled up. And she starts to proposition him daily to sleep with him. Now, he's a servant. He's a slave. He's a servant. Like, technically, you know, he's in charge of Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife is part of Potiphar's house. So if he's going to play in the gray, this is okay. But, but he never played in the gray because he had integrity. And so he consistently said no to her to the point where one day she captures Joseph by his cloak. He runs away, leaving his cloak there. And she goes and she lies and says, Joseph keeps trying to sleep with me. And so Potiphar throws him in prison. And it looks like his story just got worse. He spends some years In prison, and he has the ability to interpret dreams, God given ability. And one time, Pharaoh was going through these dreams. He can't sleep. He's the the king, the president of the country. And he's having these dreams about this famine that's coming, but he doesn't know how to interpret it. He doesn't know what to think of it. And so he finds out from his cupbearer that there was a guy in prison with him that can interpret dreams. You should come get him. And so Pharaoh comes and gets Joseph at the right time. And Joseph interprets the dream, exactly what was going to happen. And Pharaoh is impressed. And I don't know about you, but this is one of those moments. Like if they were going to make a movie, this is one of those moments that you're Like, this dude goes from the pit to the palace, man. It is an incredible promotion, an incredible step of success. He goes from being the youngest of 11, a nobody in the wilderness, to being the second most powerful man in the world. It is an incredible story. And so the the Pharaoh is impressed with him. And I I love how the Pharaoh responds to him in Genesis chapter 41. The Bible says that the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. He liked what Joseph had to say, he said. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? He's impressed with Joseph, the Bible says. Since God has made all this known to you, there was no one so discerning and wise as you. You stepped into success, and now the the most powerful man in the world... Is pumping you up. You're full of discernment. You're full of wisdom. There's nobody like you, Joseph. What does he say? You're going to be in charge of my palace. You're going you're going to rise to a place of prominence, and all my people are going to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I want you. Like this is like you starting a blog. And and whatever it is, whatever you do for a living, whatever you sell, and like the the, the person at the very top of that that sphere of influence that you want comments on what you're doing and tells you, man, I've never seen anybody do it like that before. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is like that. Like, I have never, I got all these guys in my kingdom that interpret dreams, but I've never met somebody like you before. If there was ever a moment where success would be mishandled, it was here. I went from the prison to the second most powerful man in the world in a moment. And here's what you need to understand about success when it comes. Here's really important. Success, I want you to perceive it right, is not something God gives you. It's a responsibility he entrusts to you. Success is a responsibility that God entrusts in in your life. If you don't believe me, go to the, the, the New Testament, Luke chapter 12. Jesus, these are his words. Watch what he says. From everyone who has been given much... Much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. God's going to give you blessings. He's going to give you success. He's going to give you opportunity. But I want you to see them. They are responsibilities he's entrusting you with. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. When he finds somebody who can handle greater responsibilities in their life, he'll keep giving them to you. When he finds somebody who's able to handle more and more responsibility, think about your kids. I'm telling my son right now, you're going to be 16 years old next year. I'm watching how you're being right now because in a couple, you know, short time, you're going to go out. You're going to have a car. You're going to want to go out with your friends and go out on a date and drive. that 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 that. that's going to be a death trap if you're not responsible. So I'm watching what you're doing here. What's the responsibility? Put your cup back in the sink. Right. Make your bed, pick your trash up, put your shoes away. That's a responsibility. Do your homework, right? When, when you are responsible with the success that God has given you, more and more responsibility will find you. Here's what I want to do. Some of you in success right now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we don't want to hate you, right? Like not everybody here is enjoying life. I'm just letting you, know, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in summer right now. I feel like, you know, football wise, possibly summer. We'll see what happens today, right? But life is not always in summer. Like, I I don't feel like we're in the, I'm in the moment where I'm just kind of sit back chilling with my Hawaiian shirt on. And so I don't feel like I'm in this season, but I have been in these seasons of my life before and I'm praying one is coming quickly, but... I want to be responsible for it when it comes. So let me just show you what to do. I called these three points how to shoulder the responsibility of success. Here's the first thing you're going to do. When you get into a season of success in your life, very first thing, write this down somewhere. Remember this. First thing you're going to do, whether it's a marriage, a kid, a promotion, whatever it is. First thing you're going to do when you get into, into success, give God the credit. Give God the credit in your life. Be careful, because as soon as you get into success, you're going to have a cheering section in your life. Nobody telling me jack squat in 2005. Church started. People were coming because they felt bad for me, right? Church gets successful. People come. Hey, your church is impacting my life. Great message, this and that. And the first thing you want to do if you're not careful. You're right. I did do that. I am impressive. Thank you for noticing that about me. That, thank you for, right? Like, you, you touch it. I'm just telling you, when you get success, it's really easy. You wanna grab a hold of it and you wanna hand, handle it and you want it to become your identity. And I'm just telling you, very first thing you're gonna do, you're gonna give God the credit. Joseph knew this. Joseph knew that he wasn't, in, he wasn't waiting in prison for Pharaoh, he was waiting in prison for God. There's a difference. That God's hand was upon his life. In fact, he knew that he knows this from Scripture. Psalm seventy-five says, "No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another." I'm going to teach you something really important. Why we why we start church the way we started with praise and worship? want every blessing you get in your life that you don't turn back into praise turns into pride. Every blessing, you get in that car, there's pride there. You walk into that 4,400 square foot house, there's pride there. You got that thing on your wall that says you're a doctor, right? Or whatever you are, there's, there's, oh, look at that, look what I did. If you're a pastor, you look out, oh, man, look at these seats we got here now. There's pride. If you're not sitting over here going, man, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to preach. I don't know what good things I'm going to say. I got nothing. I barely passed Bible college. I remind myself of that every week. I don't know theology. I can barely pronounce. I'm going to read stuff. I can barely pronounce the name. God, you're going to have to work through this. God, this is you. You did this. God, you get the credit in my life. God, this is your car. These are your kids. This is your spouse. You can have them. This is your spouse, right? You take them. These are your kids. I don't know what to do with these kids. They're your kids, right? This is, you. this is yours. God, I'm going to give God the credit. Why? Every blessing that you don't turn back into praise turns into pride. You ever meet somebody, you're like, man, they got a really bad ego. And by the way, if you notice somebody with really bad ego, it's because you have a really bad ego, right? Like you, you ever meet somebody like, they're not humble. Try to tell my boys, my boys are like, they're so annoying. I'm like, no, you're all annoying. So you know you're annoying. And I'm like, you came from me and I'm annoying too. And so sorry about that, right? Like ego, what's ego? How do you develop ego? Ego, I'm going to give you a little acronym. Ego, every gift owned. Every gift that God sends your way, you begin to own it. And here's the scary thing. Proverbs 16 says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. I I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in my life. You've seen people ascend to success in their life. Not start, because you get one of the coolest things about being a pastor is you get to participate and, and, and visually watching people's lives—it's—it's it's really cool. Like we have people that started coming in 2006 and 7 and 8, and now I'm watching as we are all getting old together. It's really neat. Their kids are getting, getting older, and our kids are starting to get into, into you know, elementary school, middle school, and, and high school, and then they're going to start going to college. And some of our kids, by the grace of God, hopefully going to get married so we like our in-laws and, like, all these things. We should start a little app at the church, you know what I'm saying? We'll just fix people up. And so we'll call it K- kinder, Christian Tinder, right? And so you don't sleep together, you get married. And so, like, right? Like, and we're just, we just develop, and it's really cool watching people. But what's sad is watching people start from nothing and get everything. And the Bible says, what good is it to gain the whole world, let you lose your soul? That's the most painful part about being a pastor. You watch people get to where they've talked about getting, and then they touch it when they get there. They hold it. And that pride gets in their life. I want you to think about what pride does personally, physically, in, in this world with relationships. I mean, think about what, what pride does. if you If you think Earthly relationships. Pride creates intimacy, right? Or or praise creates intimacy. Pride creates space. Think about it. If you're married, just think about. Pride it creates space. Me, you, you, me, 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 me. What does praise do? Praise brings them closer. You're, 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 you're praising them. I'm thankful for what you do. I see and I recognize what you do. Same thing happens with God, right? Pride creates distance between you and God. Praise brings God close. You're telling God, I see what you're doing in my life. Praise see the, sees the other person's efforts. Pride celebrates my own efforts. There, there's a difference, one brings somebody close, one pushes somebody away. Praise points out, pride, it, it, points, it points in. When you get success in your life, give God the credit. Watch what, watch, what, watch what Joseph does. So Joseph's brothers show up a few chapters later. It's awesome. The brothers that sold him. Now walk into the kingdom needing food that he's the one that put the process into place so that they would have extra food and they come and they need some food because they have nothing and he's the one that gets to dictate if they get it. Can anybody else see the awesomeness in this moment? If you're from Philly, you love this, right? Like you're coming. And so if it's me, I'm like, I can't, I can't wait. Like, he, And they come in, they don't even recognize him. Like He looks so different, so good. He's so buffed up. he got gold all over his body. He's sitting at a place of power. They don't even recognize him. They're starving. They're they're, they're wretched looking. They got gnarly beards because they're in the wilderness, and they don't got mirrors. Like He has it all, and they have nothing, right? And he handles his success so well. Watch what he says in Genesis 45. They're freaking out. They find out it's him, and here's what he says. Watch how many times he talks about God. He says, but, but who? Everybody tell me what it says, but God sent me here. But God placed me in this place, ahead of you to preserve for a moment a remnant on Earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but who? Again, it's not you. It's not me. It, it, it's God. He made the Father, He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, "This is what your son Joseph says. What does it say? What does it say again? God. God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Not me. Not my success. Not my ability. Not my looks. Who sent me here? God put me here. I listen to some gospel gospel rap in in, in the morning when I when we work out with these guys, and you know, it's, I, I control it, and so they, they, they don't like it that much. But I just play it anyways. And so, but this one song on, on the iTunes I, I, Apple uh, gospel Apple, uh, gospel rap tune says something like this, and I, I'm gonna try to get it right. But don't forget, I'm white, and so like, but but it says it says. It says, when they ask me how I did it, the guy says, I tell them God got me when they ask me how I did it. And just over and over and over again. When somebody asks you how you did it, what are you going to tell them? God got me. Give give God the glory. Take your hands off it. Let me just give you two more thoughts. Number, 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 Number two is this, is celebrate it without letting it change you. I'm not telling you not to be excited. I'm not telling you uh, not to enjoy it. I'm not telling you it's a curse. I'm I'm telling you, learn how to celebrate success without letting success change who you were before you got success. How many people do we meet? Maybe you were one of them where they start low, they're humble, they need God, they're they're committed, they're serving, they're giving, all those things. Then all of a sudden, success starts to come into their life, and you look at their life over 10 years, and they've changed. That's one of the coolest things about Joseph, by the way. He gets married in Egypt. Obviously, he gets probably the pick of whoever he wants. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh probably says, pick whoever you want. Pick whatever female you want. Every girl wants to be with him. I mean, he is the CFO of the biggest company in, in the world. Like, he is an absolute uh, stud muffin, right? Like, he, 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 he has, however you say it now, right? Like, he, he has it going, going on, right? And so the Bible says in Genesis 41, before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph of Asaneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Probably didn't say any of that right, but that's where we're going. The Bible says, Joseph named his firstborn born Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. And his second son, he named Ephraim and he said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now what's interesting, he marries a woman from Egypt who has Egyptian uh, rituals and religion and he is finding his success in Egypt, but he's staying true to his roots as a Hebrew, as a Hebrew man. My wife is from Egypt, but the names of my kids are going to reflect my faith in the one true God. He, he doesn't change. He has a change of surroundings, but not a change of who he is as a person with his standards. I want, to, I want to give you something. Just write this down. Don't allow whatever perks you begin to get in your life to make you a jerk. Just write it down. Don't allow the perks that you now have to lead you to to be a jerk. The safest way to not do this is to keep doing the things that you did when you started out. Jesus was a great example of this. Jesus came to this earth serving, and he went out this earth serving. Think about it. Last night on earth before he goes to the cross, he's about to go to the cross, and he's about to do something that is going to gain him notoriety for thousands of years. Like This is not an argued fact. Jesus was a real man. He died on the cross. Right? He was one of thousands of people who was put on a cross. He was nailed through his hands. He was beaten. This is documented both inside the Bible and outside the Bible. This is historically accurate. Where we argue is what happened next. What the Bible says happened next is they, next, they put his body in the tomb, and then three days later, he rose, and, and then he ascended to heaven, and the Bible says he intercedes for me and you to come home and have a relationship with him. It's through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that everything changes. The argument is that didn't happen. Somebody found or, or, or stole his body and has hidden it for 2,000 years, to which I would say logically that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 2,000 years, you're not hiding anything. You're going to find his bones. You're going to here's the tomb. They can't find him because he rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, all this is worthless. So he's going to do that. If it's us and we know I'm going to be at the pinnacle of success, I'm going to die, I'm going to come back from the tomb, I'm going to gather my disciples on the last land of the earth and I'm going to say, hey, let's go. We need, we need to capitalize on what I'm about to do. We need bumper stickers, we need t-shirts, we need to start a new uh, you know, thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to start a workout plan, teach people how to get up. And, so, like, and, 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 and we're going, hey, you can paint, let's start paintings, let's do and all this stuff. And what does Jesus do on the last land of earth, on this earth, before he goes to the cross? The Bible says he takes off his outer garment. He fills a basin with water, and he gets on his hands and knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. By the way, Judas is in that room, and he knows Judas is about to sell him out for 30 silver coins. I read this week that the sign of spiritual maturity is not that we love our enemies, it's that we love our Judases. And he tells them what it looks like. Listen, wherever you go, whatever situation that you're in, your position is always going to be one of service. If you want to be great, you have to learn how to serve. That's why we consistently tell you, come to Welcome to Church Night. Let us get you signed up for serving. Some of you think to yourselves, what do they want from me? I'm going to give you the spiel I give at Welcome to Church. We don't need you to serve. We have enough parking lot people. We got enough people giving candy, right? We got enough of all that going on. I want that for you because it changes your life and it enables you to continue to see success in your life. What's your position? I'm going to, sorry, I'm not going to let it change me. Number three, lastly, uh, whatever you do, whatever you get, whatever success you have, here's what you're going to do. You're going to use it to further the cause of God's kingdom. You're going to use it to further the the cause of God's kingdom. Watch what he says when he gets here. Genesis chapter 45, big house, pretty wife. Couple kids, power, prestige, influence, opportunity, gonna live the rest of his life in in a place that is beyond something he can imagine. And what does he say? What does he say? If you go to Genesis back, Genesis chapter 45, he says, And now, do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to what? Everybody tell me what that phrase says save what? Save lives. Save, Save lives. God sent me here, but he put me in this position so that I could save lives. End of your life. I'm going to just be honest. I just want to be honest with you for a little bit because I've, uh, I'm now, I'm in the business of birth to death. It's kind of a weird job. You're there for people's babies and you're, you're, we'll do child dedications and we'll be holding these beautiful kids. And then you're there for people's death. And as you get older, you start to actually bury people that you, you knew. And life is a really weird thing. In fact, uh, I was, I found a new way to waste time on YouTube. You watch shorts. And so complete waste of time. And I was doing that the other day, and I was flipping, flipping through, and this one short came on. It was a younger guy interviewing this older guy, and he said, hey, how old are you? He said, I'm 70, and he said, how does it feel to be 70, and the guy said, eh, it's one year older than 69, and he said, nah, for real, how does it feel to be 70? He said, uh, well, here's how it feels to be 70. He says, um, you still see yourself as the same person, but everybody else sees you differently. I thought that was really good. Like I still, th- I still see myself as an 18-year-old man, right? But you see me as almost a forty-three-year-old man, and he said, "As a seventy-year-old, here's what's the saddest part: is in our culture, as a seventy-year-old, you're basically just forgotten. It's assumed you have nothing to give." And he walked away. I was like, "Thank you for ruining my day, man." And so, I appreciate that. But it was a it was an eye opener, and here's why: because uh, life as we live it, a lot of it is a, is, is is a waste. You're gonna be forgotten you have a big house, nobody's going to care. You ever walk by those big colonial houses? You're like, are not like, who built this house? What was the architect like? Blah, blah, blah. You're like, okay, cool. You have a hay bed, right? Like it's not, it's not impressive. Nobody's going to care about your car in a hundred years. Nobody's going to care about your business you built, your promotion, your title. No one's even going to remember you. Can I, can I just be very honest with you? The only thing people are going to remember about your life is what you did in the scope of eternity. The impact that you made, the legacy that you left. Stuff does not define you. Think about how much time we spend on stuff, though. So I'm just telling you when you get into success, is it possible that God gave you more so that you could do more for His kingdom? Is it possible that God has extended or, or expanded your sense of living because God wants you to do more for his, his kingdom? I'm telling you, the best way to handle success is, okay, God, what more can I do for your cause? How, how can I be more generous? How can I be more giving? How can I use my talent to do more for you? What, what can I do with what you've given, what you've given me? God does not increase your life without a purpose. In fact, I always go back to this one story because it is such, it was told by Jesus to Jewish listeners, but it's almost like he knew what we were going to be like in America someday. We live in such a blessed country. We don't have to think about eternity. We don't think about forever. We don't think about what it looks like to be in heaven. We think about now. Where am I going now? What am I doing for my summer? How am I going to make, like, we, we spend a lot of time on now and we have a lot. And here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 12. It says someone in the crowd said to him, just a substantial, a little bit of a substantial part of scripture I just want to read with you. Somebody said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. You ever been there? Tell him to give me that thing that I didn't earn and do anything for. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Highlight that. Write that down. And then he tells this amazing story. I love this. You can see it almost. He says, and he told him his parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any place to put my stuff. So step back. Let's visually think about it. How many times you meet somebody like this isn't my forever home. I need a bigger home for my stuff. You ever walk by somebody's house in your neighborhood and they open up the garage and it's filled with stuff. You're like, you know, that's for your car. Play on the room for the car because they got so much stuff. Right? And then you go in the basement, they got stuff. In the garage, they got stuff. You go in their car, it's stuff. Stuff, 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 stuff everywhere. What, what does God say? Man's life does not, does not exist in the abundance of his stuff. What do I do? What, what should I do? What, what, what am I going to do? I, here's, here's what, I love this part. He says, I'll say to myself, uh, build bigger barns, he says. I'll tear my older ones down. And then I'll have a place for, for the more, he says. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty now. You have plenty laid up for many years. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to relax. I'm going to retire. You ever been there? I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to relax. I'm going to retire get you see you see it. I'm going to get burned to a crisp by the sun. Look like a California raisin. I'm going to wear a Hawaiian shirt. I'm like you can just see life goes, right? Life goes. And so but God said to him, "You're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then you will get what you prepared for yourself." I don't know if you ever knew this or not. But we always talk about investing all the time. Invest, invest, invest. The Bible is clear that you should invest, but you should make sure you're not only investing for the temporary, but that you're investing in eternity. The Bible says that what you invest in eternity will come back to you in eternity. I don't know about you, but I think that's a better investment. He says, you'll get what's prepared for you. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. In other words, here's what he's saying. Doesn't give you more money for more stuff. Doesn't give you a bigger platform for more power. Doesn't give you more influence for more fame. Doesn't give you a longer life for the more acquisition of things. He gives you more because he wants you to do more. He gives you more because he wants you to do more for him. So the next time you step into a season of success, hey God, what can I do to further the cause of your kingdom with the blessings that you're bringing to my life? And the Bible says this, I love this. Whoever can be entrusted with a little will be entrusted with more. Whoever can be, God brings a little bit of success into your life. If you can be entrusted with that success, that he can bring more success into your life. What are you gonna do next time you get into a season? Maybe you're not in a season, so you don't even need to think about it right now. You're just trying to make it. But the next time you get into a season of success, what are you gonna do? Don't you dare take credit for it. Don't you dare take credit for it. Don't you dare let it change you. And when you get it, look at it, God, what can I do to further the cause of your kingdom? Because my life is not my own. I was bought at a high price. I was bought at a high price. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? with you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe, maybe today, maybe I'll do a different altar call. I was thinking about it a lot. I don't know that I've ever done an altar call and asked people to respond to the gospel when they're doing great, doing great. But I just want to remind you that the great season that you're in, without the focus of the One who sent you into that season, turns into disaster, turns into failure. So maybe you, you've gotten some success, like I've seen it. People come to church, stuff goes well. You can see this. You can see exactly how it happens. It's a cycle. They come, and they're at a low spot, and God does what he does. He puts them back together. He gives them some form of hope, and it helps them to get over an addiction and restores their relationship with their, with their spouse and, and, and gives them the courage to face things and helps them to get over bitterness. And all of a sudden, they start to walk in spiritual health, and they once came in here limping, and now, now all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're walking, but it seems like in that walking, sometimes they just kind of walk right out of church. I need God when it's bad and when it's good. Mm. And you see this cycle. Then they hit rock bottom, and then they come back, and then you go through the whole same process again. It's almost insane. And they get growing. And okay, stuff's going well. And then they get to success, and then they, they leave, and then it goes bad, and then they hit rock bottom. And what if, what if you could just stop? What if you could just take the Bible and use it as an example and look at what, what Scripture is saying and use the wisdom of it and say, you know what? I'm not letting this change I me. Mean, this isn't mine. I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. I'm gonna handle it how God has called me to handle it. I'm gonna serve him on the mountaintop just like I serve him in the valley. I'm gonna seek his face in both failure and success. I'm gonna rely on him and him alone. I'm gonna use it for his cause. I've allowed it to change me. It probably started when you started to believe the hype about yourself. You're not that good. You're just not. I'm not that good. I'm not capable of doing anything outside of the the glory and the majesty and the power of my God. I have to remind myself of that daily. You got to come up there. You got nothing. You got nothing. You got four pages of nothing outside of God. If He don't show up, you're going to look like a fool. So I remind myself God, I need you right now in this moment. Maybe some of you just need to remind yourself. You're walking towards death and destruction. It hasn't happened yet because God is patient. But he will allow you to go through pain if it leads you back to him because the best place for you is with him. So if you're in success, maybe right now, God, I need you. God, I need to turn my life to you. God, I've looked at all the stuff, things that I've had, the accomplishment that I had the wrong way. God, I want to focus on you. I want to celebrate you. So I'm not sure where you're at, but I'm telling you, life Life is only lived with the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is is only lived. You you can only find purpose through Jesus. You You can only find direction through Jesus. You can only find power through Jesus. It's Jesus. You can search. You can look. You can struggle. You can seek. You'll never find it. It's Jesus. And he's here. He's so good. He's so patient with us. He's kind to us. His love, the Bible says, endures for us. That means he puts up with us. And he's here. And when you meet him, that's when life begins to make sense. That's when life begins to have meaning. That's when life begins to be filled with direction. That's that's when life changes. Here's what scripture says. uh, That when two or more gathered in his name, that he shows up. When he shows up, he begins to knock at the door of people's hearts. I can't tell you exactly how it feels to you, but I remember for me, I grew up in church, but I wasn't following Christ, and I was 18 years old, and I could tell you when the, the preacher said that the God knocks at the door of my heart, there was a burning in my chest. It was like God was saying, "Is it, enough's enough. And I remember turning my life over to him. I was 18 years old, and not everything was perfect from that day forward, but, but everything changed that day, and I believe he's here doing the exact same thing, both here physically in Montgomeryville he's physically there he's in he's in your room if you're watching online right there with you he's doing that he's knocking at the door of people's hearts your job is to say yes to him what are you saying yes to I believe Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross for my sins The Bible says that he was placed in a tomb and on the third day he rose in power and it's through him that I become a brand new person, that my sins are forgiven, that my eternity is secured, that when I take my last breath on this earth, I'll take my next breath with Jesus, not in a better place, but in the place. Not because of my accomplishments and my goodness, but because I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus Christ. In that moment, everything changes about your life. And he's here right now, I promise you. He wants a relationship with you, doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with, what you've brought into this place. He sees value in you, he has purpose for you. He wants to use your life. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, that he's a gentleman, that God's spirit, that he's not gonna force himself on you, but he's here, you say yes you say yes. Yes to Jesus Christ. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If you're here, nobody looking around in this moment and you say, hey, pastor, I don't know Christ, but I need to. I'm walking in a season of success and I'm trying to do it on my own, but I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want that shallow success in my life anymore. I want to give God the credit for it. Some of you in a, in a valley right now and you feel all alone and next week's message is going to resonate with you, but you don't have to wait till next week to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll meet you right here in this moment. You say yes. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life all over our houses. If that's you, Montgomeryville and Phoenixville, would you just physically begin with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, hey, that's me, by shooting your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, Pastor, you're speaking to me. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Another hand. Another hand. Another hand. Another hand right here. Yeah, come on. Keep your hand up for me for a second. Anybody else in Montgomeryville? You would say, hey, Pastor, that's me. Maybe you're online and you would just type in the chat, I'm responding to the gospel. Uh, We wanna pray together, we're a family. We're gonna pray together, we're gonna celebrate together. so I want you to repeat after me all over this house. Let's say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for meeting me here. Jesus, today I put my life in your hands. I need your forgiveness, I need your grace, and I need your mercy. Jesus, thank you today that through what you did for me on that cross, that I'm a brand new person. The old me is dead and gone. Today's a new day. Jesus, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I have hope, and I leave this place with joy. In your name we pray all over this place. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.